Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before we start, I want to take a minute and thank our new sponsor, Electa. Uh, Electa is a distributor of very fabulous radiation therapy equipment, and I consider them a company with a heart because when we connected a couple of years ago, I realized what a wonderful company they are and how much compassion they have for their patients. So when they stepped up and decided to become a sponsor of our radio program, I was thrilled. I couldn't be happier about any of that. Uh, you'll be hearing some commercial spots from them here shortly. But uh, in the meantime, visit Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. They have a patient portal in there where you can learn more about what to expect when you're going through radiation therapy. And it's just great information for for all of us that have battled this ugly disease. So with that, before I introduce my guest, I want to tell you guys a kind of fun little story that taught me about the importance of preparation because it is the key to success. And it was four years ago today, excuse me, that we started our very first radio show on this channel. And Sharon Hennepin, the other co-founder, and I had practiced and we we were all set up at the office to go in the next morning bright and early and get everything going and we, we were totally rehearsed. We didn't have an outline per se, but we knew what we'd talk about. Heck, it's an hour. We can we can talk forever, really. Um, but about four o'clock in the morning, I got this, this ding on my phone that there was an urgent message. And it was from our, one of our staff members who had gone to the office at four o'clock in the morning to pick up some supplies for a meeting. And yes, that is how dedicated our staff is. And she said, don't bother coming to the office. The building is on fire. When she got there, there was fire leaping out through the, the main floor windows. Our office was upstairs. Well, when our sweet, wonderful, loyal office manager, Diana Banky, heard that same ding, because her phone also made that same sound, she said, heck no. She jumped out of bed. She got dressed. She went to the office talked to the fire marshal and said, I have to get in there. I have to get in there. We're doing a radio show today and all of their equipment's up there. Just give me five minutes. I can go grab it all and take it to my boss's house. And he said, you're not going in there. And she begged him. And finally, he said, okay, I'll take you in. So he walked her in there. She picked up the microphones and all the stuff we needed and brought it all to my house. And then we were able to do the show from my house. But what's funny about all that is, you know, we thought, we were so prepped, you know, we, we were, as I said, we'd prepped through it, we'd done everything that we thought we needed to do, and everything, we thought everything would be fine, we never mentioned at all that there was a fire going on and where we were supposed to be, and we put on our, our radio voices to try to sound all professional, um, but you know, you, you throw a little trauma into the mix, and all that preparation just went out the window. And I went back one day and listened to that first episode. I should do it again. But it was, it was, it seemed a little disorganized to me. And I think that's about when my OCD kicked in because now I have an outline for every one of my guests that come on the radio show just so I don't get stuck for what to ask in case I have some traumatic moment that hits just before the radio show. So with that, knowing that, that preparation is the key to success, Our guest today also knows how important keys are. 
and I have the a great privilege of introducing him to you. He is the author of 18 books. His latest is entitled 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient. He is internationally recognized expert in the area of nutrition and cancer. He has 40 years experience as a clinical nutritionist, 10 of which were spent at the, as vice president of nutrition for the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and we've all heard about that. So it's just a wonderful background. He's worked with thousands of cancer patients in multiple hospital settings. Wonderful guy. He sent me a copy of his latest book that I had the pleasure of kind of thumbing through and and reading some of it. It's got pictures. I always like pictures in a book, too. So please welcome our guest, Dr. Patrick Quillen. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Becky. Thank you for sharing your listeners. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you on our show. You've got such knowledge and such a, an amazing background. So before we get into all the nitty-gritty of what we're going to talk about, why don't you just take a minute, tell us just a little bit about you personally, like your family, anything you want us to know that isn't in your book. Okay. Well, in addition to being uh, very committed to my work as a clinical nutritionist, um, I have, I'm an avid gardener. I have 60 fruit trees and a raised bed garden. I do uh, rain barrel harvesting. I'm a, uh, a, a traveler. I've got a million mile card with American Airlines. Uh, I love to play guitar and piano. I play at local restaurants on a weekly basis and I do uh, ballroom dancing, take weekly lessons. Wow. Um, so I never watch TV and I'm never bored and I have a good time and I'm very um, passionately committed to my work that uh, trying to empower people with clinical nutrition. Well, you sound like a very well-rounded, wonderful fellow. Do you have a family? No, no children. No. Okay. Well, sometimes our, our hobbies and our work become our children, don't they? That's <laughs> you true. Know? So good for you. Well, tell us what you do now. I know you worked for Cancer Centers of America, which you know, everyone's heard of, but what do you do now? Because you're not there anymore. So tell us what you do now and how you got into this line of work. I am the uh, CEO of the Nutrition Times Press, which is a small publishing company I started. Uh, my first four books were done through New York publishers in which I felt, um, you know, with all due respect, if you're a Barack Obama and you've got a $65 million contract with a publisher, good for you. Yeah. Uh, but most other people get a far less uh, generous con- uh, uh, advance against royalties and are not treated nearly as well. So after four books with New New York publishers, I started my own publishing company and have done very well with that. So um, I work uh, writing, speaking. I do uh, patient consultations from my office in Carlsbad, California, uh, Skype, Zoom, Google Hangout. Um, and as I said, I practice guitar, piano, have dance, uh, travel quite a bit. Local area opportunities in Southern California are limitless. If you had an unlimited checking account and a helicopter, you'd never be bored. Just keep yeah. <laughs> hanging around. So that's what I do now. And um, we can move into my line of work still is dedicated in clinical nutrition. Actually, Becky, I'm 68 and uh, passionate about my work. When I was in my 50s, I was fortunate enough to organize three international symposia on adjuvant or helpful nutrition in cancer treatment. And one of the speakers I invited was Linus Pauling, a twice Nobel laureate. Oh, wow. And I picked him up at the Tulsa airport and he shot off the airplane like he came out of a a cannon uh, at age 92 
and uh, he spoke for an hour in front of a 400 people, captivated. He had no notes, and he was just brilliant. And I said, that's what I'm going to be at his age. So that's the direction I'm headed. Well, good for you. So you had a little role model there to kind of uh, inspire you. And I, I think a lot of us need those people in our lives. Well, we're glad you're doing what you're doing. So I just have a question because I have never actually been inside of a Cancer Centers of America center. What, what was it like working there? They're a great group of people. Um, the founder, Dick Stevenson, has his uh, the mother, mother model, meaning, would you do this to your mother? Uh, when a patient comes in, they are treated as if they were your mother with cancer, and you would give them the utmost in care, uh, service, um, attention, love. Oh. Uh, so it is, uh, you know, they have a, a motto of, how can we improve our service here? Every week is a focus group in which the uh, the president of each of the hospitals gets together with the patients and their family members, and they say, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we improve our service? I think it's a model that should be used throughout all of industry, and as a matter of fact, the government could use a little bit of that, too. <laughs> you think? <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I have not heard that, but, it, you know... They have such a great reputation, it wouldn't surprise me to, to hear that. Well, that's that's great. Now, you left there when? How long ago? So, I worked uh, as a consultant in 1989, came on full-time in 1990, worked till the year 2000, and so 10 full years as vice president of nutrition, and that's where I got my uh, some of my million miles in traveling, and uh, left to move back to California and enjoyed my time there in Tulsa with cancer treatment centers. I'm enjoying my time back in California. There are many opportunities here that are not found elsewhere in the country, Natural Products Expo, the San Diego Convention Center is the epicenter of healthcare uh, conferences. So uh, I have many opportunities here. I uh, had a great time in Tulsa. I'm having a great time in San Diego. Well, good for you. You know, and I, I know. Let's kind of just get into the heart of, of what we're going to talk about today. I mean, I we all know that cancer is big business. I mean, it's. Big business. I don't even know what the dollar amount of, of the value of this big business is, but how do you think healthcare in general and maybe even cancer specifically fits into what we call the gross domestic product in America? Well, talk about that for a minute. Let's give some numbers here, Becky, so we can shape the debate and discussion for our uh, listeners. Um, The U.S. economy is hovering at around $19 trillion a year. The health care is $3.5 trillion a year. So by some estimates, it's roughly one-sixth, one-seventh of the gross Mm -hmm. domestic product. It is big dollars. If you compare that to defense is $1 trillion. So health care is $3.5 trillion. Of that... $480 billion is in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, we could talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of healthcare, and I think we're going to get into that, but let me just share with you the good is emergency medicine. What we do with patients who are in critical accidents, um, 
car accidents, burns, stabs, uh, uh, emergency room medicine is so advanced that uh, it is enviable. We could use 3D printing to make spare body parts for patients. Uh, Diagnostics are at an extraordinary level. Pain management is at an extraordinary level. Uh, So the uh, rare time when someone has a bacterial infection that is appropriate for antibiotics, those are literally award-winning moments. That's the good. Uh, The bad is that much of that $3.5 trillion is spent on uh, uh, using drugs and surgery without any concept of including lifestyle medicine. Uh, This is a a concept that's been introduced by Dean Ornish. Uh, Ornish is a uh, Harvard-trained cardiologist who wearied of the whole idea that uh, he was doing second and third bypass surgeries on his patients, and he said there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And so ba- about 20 years ago, he pioneered the whole idea of diet, meaning low-fat, plant-based, um, meditation, exercise, and uh, uh, social networking, loneliness kills. And so Dr. Ornish pioneered this program, which is now insurance reimbursable. He calls it lifestyle medicine. And back to the business of the $3.5 trillion a year that's basically drugs and surgery ignores the fact that nobody with cancer has a deficiency of adriamycin. And nobody with a headache has a deficiency of aspirin. And so my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient, basically says, good, follow your doctor's advice. Use your chemo, radiation, and surgery appropriately. However, unless you change the underlying cause of the disease, you have very poor prognosis for most late-stage cancers. And so uh, that the good is the, the advances we've made in medicine. The bad is we have omitted at least 50% of the puzzle in healthcare, and that is changing the underlying cause of the disease. And the ugly is the misinformation that is out there. The fact that the internet has been scanned, scoured, uh, has been uh, sanitized, uh, deplatformed. There have been major efforts made to uh, redirect people. If you're looking for information that is, for instance, what are the side effects of chemo? You can't find it. What are the side effects of vaccinations? You can't find it, and they are there. Um, what are the hazards of this and that? What are the benefits of using nutrition and cancer treatment? If you go to Wikipedia, they claim that it's all quackery, nonsense, no science, no evidence-based medicine here, which is not true. So the ugly is the misinformation that's out there. And so the well-intentioned cancer patient who's looking in for information needs to start with my book because in my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient, I have a chapter that says, if this stuff works, then why doesn't my doctor use it? and my insurance company pay for it. And it's a very enlightening, riveting chapter that basically says, follow the money trail. Uh, Ah. So you and I are gonna have a lot of optimistic things to talk about here, and my message is empowerment. Yeah, and that your your first key in your book is understanding the problem, and I know you in there it does, it does talk about you know if this stuff works why isn't my doctor prescribing it kind of thing, um, so you've got a lot of really great content in your book, and I want to ask you we're going to go out to break here in a couple of minutes, but. Um, 
I know that, I mean, I'm a five-time survivor. I was diagnosed the first time in 1996. And the treatment then versus now, even, you know, in this 23-year period, things have changed. And there is a lot more emphasis now on, you know, the mindful eating and the, the different kinds of things. It was just all, back then it seemed to be mostly about just treating the disease with chemotherapy, you know, radiation, all of those things. Yes. And I'm glad And I'm glad to hear you still say, you know, work with your doctor on that. But in addition to that, to add these other components. And I know that, um, that probably over time there have been some serious advances made. Can you speak to that? Yes, there have been advances. Um, and I think... Uh, at the risk of sounding like a skeptic or a pessimist, they say that science advances one funeral at a time. I know, uh, that's true. So what happens is the people who were doggedly resistant to any changes. Uh, in my book, I talk about uh, people who were luminescent figures in the whole business of medicine. For, in, for instance, Ignaz Semmelweis. Around 1860, Ignaz Semmelweis was a physician in Vienna, Austria. Uh, at the time, uh, pregnant women, there was about a 90% incidence of puerperal fever, which is uh, maternal fever. What happens is the doctor goes from the stable to deliver a horse into the autopsy to cut up a dead body into the delivery room to uh, give birth to a newborn child. And uh, oftentimes these women developed infections, mother-child do- mother, 90% infection, 30% death rate, and Semmelweis said, I wonder if we wash our hands, if it would be useful. <laughs> and so he I developed... I that's where that was going. <laughs> think about this. So he said he developed a technique, dilute chlorine bleach, wash your hands, and he could cut puerperal incidence to near zero. And his colleague doctor said, well, what's causing this problem? And he said, I don't know. And they said, is it spooks? He said, I don't know. And they laughed him out of the medical profession. And he ended up dying in a uh, insanity, uh, insane asylum. I bring that in because 30 years later, Louis Pasteur came forth with a mag with a microscope and a laboratory, and he said, "I have found Dr. Semmelweis's spooks, and they were bacteria, of course. And of course, everybody knows now. You wash your hands before you do surgery or anything else. Now we fast forward to cancer treatment, 2020. It has been similar in the sense that the American Cancer Society, founded in 1913, said that there was no link between nutrition and cancer, neither in prevention or treatment. And when Max Gerson came to this country in 1930 and 1940 and tried to bring some sanity, saying, I think nutrition is important here, they chased him out of the country and they literally made a fool out of him. Now what we find is that the Gerson diet looks an awful lot like the American Cancer Society's guidelines on nutrition. So I'm answering a question in a long roundabout way of saying it takes too long for these changes to take place. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people suffered unnecessarily in the process of embracing uh, modern uh, science. So my book, is evidence-based. Uh, for instance, let's just take the subject of uh, nutrients and chemotherapy. You know what? Can, can you hold that thought? Because we yes. need to take a break. And yes. so just hang on to that thought. Don't lose it. We'll be back in a Good. minute. Excellent. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the 12 keys to a healthier cancer patient with our guest and author, Dr. Patrick Quillen. almost said Quinlan, I'm sorry, Quillen. Q-U-I-L-L-I-N, for those of you who are wondering. So anyway, you I had to cut you off just before the break, so let's come back to what you were talking about, and then I have a question for you about a very, very awful infection and how, how people get that infection. So can you... Good. Finish your well, thought first. You had started the question a few minutes uh, before our break about have we made advances in modern uh, oncology? And the answer is yes, clearly. Uh, but I, what I was talking about is most of the time these changes move extremely slowly. And so I gave the story about Ignaz Semmelweis and how it took 30 years. And actually, he's considered the uh, father of, of modern, uh, actually the savior of, of uh, pregnant women. Uh, and we go back to, uh, I, I was starting on the subject of nutrients and chemotherapy. Chemo can kill cancer. That's wonderful. Chemo uh, basically kills rapidly growing cells in the body, which has uh, a certain amount of collateral damage to the, the, the host. And what has been found is that when nutrients are taken in conjunction with chemo, you do not reduce the tumor kill, but actually enhance tumor kill and protect the patient. So imagine if you had terrorists who had taken over an airport, and what you did is you were able to give the, the good guys bulletproof vest, and then you sent in a SWAT team and started shooting. And that's what happens when you give a cancer patient antioxidant nutrients before you give radiation and chemo. The evidence is very clear. There have been two meta-analysis of the literature 
Uh, one was done by a, a Dr. Charles Simone, who had been at the National Cancer Institute, and he did a review of hundreds of studies in humans using nutrients with chemo and radiation and found clearly it's an advantage. Um, uh, another was done by a Dr. Keith Block, who has a very large cancer center in Chicago. Again, he did a review of the literature and found overwhelmingly nutrients improve outcome in cancer treatment. And yet today... 20,000 oncologists still labor under the illusion that antioxidant nutrients are going to reduce the effectiveness of their chemo, which is not true. So you ask me, have we made progress? Absolutely. Radiation is more targeted. Chemo it can be used in fractionated dosages. Uh, there are immune therapies. Uh, there are ways of, of targeting the cancer as opposed to regional radiation to the chest. So I'm proud of the advances that have been made. I am disappointed at best and angry at worst at how slow modern oncology has been to embrace these therapies of lifestyle medicine or my field of nutrition and cancer. But it's coming. Well, I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. I, I have to share with our listeners, We just, I just had somebody send me a message that they just made a $20.20 donation in honor of 2020, it's the year, um, but in honor of Diana Banky, who saved our first show. <laughs> I just, I am so blessed by that. So thank you to the donor and God bless you, Diana, for saving us on that. So I just had to get that out before I forgot. Um, so... Patrick, I have, I have a question for you, and we kind of chatted about this during the break um, real quickly because, you know, I know that there have been advances, but then there's still some really basic weird stuff that comes up that happens that, you know, you'd think that we could figure this out before it becomes a, a trauma. But um, as you know, I'm, I'm going through my fifth battle right now with breast cancer. This time it's stage four. It's in my lungs, and, um, and I'm doing good. I mean, the scans are, it seems to be working. My scans are showing that the tumors are reducing. So just kind of get that out there. But I had a port put in because I knew I was going to be on a um, particular type of, of protocol that required infusions. And my veins are horrible. I mean, they're like, they don't exist, I don't think. I think I'm not sure where they went. But anyway, so I had this port put in. And the first time they accessed my port, the very first time they went in there and just drew blood out of it, I got MRSA, yeah. and it was very, very bad. They had to take the port out. I had to go in every day for daily infusions into these veins that don't exist, and um, it was the most miserable time of my entire life. I had high fevers, and I almost died. So why can't we fix that? And I'm sure it's more than just washing hands. What is, yes, what happens yes. there? What's that about? Let's, let's talk about this. MRSA, for those who are uninformed, MRSA stands for methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. And what okay. you have is Staphylococcus <laughs> aureus is a very nasty infection. Methicillin is the antibiotic that typically will treat it. But in this case, it's resistant. So MRSA mm-hmm. means you have a very virulent and resistant bacterial infection. And what we have is too many people in America are developing uh, drug-resistant infections. Um, I could address it in your specific case. You had taken chemo and radiation prior to this, not immediately prior, but in past therapies. And quite a lot of it. Quite a lot of it in past therapies, yes. And chemo and radiation, while they have their merits, both of them are immunosuppressive. So they lower the immune response, and that's what allows for MRSAs to set in. What they find is most MRSA comes from people who are on chemo or antibiotics 
or corticosteroids because all of those are immunosuppressive. So uh, while we bring in wonder drugs, we also invite wonder infections, which can be uh, virulent and difficult to treat. Mm, okay. Well, that helps. I mean, I go in now when I have my blood drawn, I always make them like double, triple clean the area and make sure so far so good. We haven't had good. another one, but I even wear a mask when I go in because I don't want to be breathing on it and it cause anything. So there are, they are taking very good precaution and nobody seems mad when I tell them how to do their job. So that's all good. <laughs> you know. Good for um, you. <laughs> so let's move to the, the next part. So key two. Key, key number two in your book is understanding the solution, where the first one was understanding the problem. And um, I know you, you, have, you touch on exercise and as part of cancer prevention. Can you just speak in general? I'm not even going to ask you questions. I'm just going to let you roll because you're good at this. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm very passionate about what I do and educating Clearly. the public. And <laughs> the, uh, I would love it if uh, give me Yankee Stadium at 80,000 people <laughs> and I'll be there and I'll talk for free. But Can anyway, I come with back- you? I want to <laughs> do that too. <laughs> I'd love to have you. Um, I just I want to finish up, mop up the remains of key one, which is understand the problem. And I'm just going to spend less than a minute outlining the problem. In the 47 years since we have launched the war on cancer, there have been no advances in any stage four cancer. So Richard Nixon promised us a cure for a major cancer by the bicentennial or 1976. We don't have one. Still don't. And we spend roughly $5 billion a year on research at the National Cancer Institute. And we spend about $150 billion a year on treatment around the country. And off after those trillions of dollars spent, we have no advances in any major cancers. If you look at the four major cancers of breast, colon, prostate, and uh, lung, you have, uh, that's uh, 1.6 million Americans will be newly diagnosed with cancer this year. Mm -hmm. 600,000 Americans will die every year from cancer. In the year 1900, 1% of Americans develop cancer. This year, 24% of Americans will die from cancer, and 42% of Americans will get cancer in their lifetime. So what's happening is, We're getting more cancer. We're not making any major advances against the big cancers. uh, And that's where we need to think outside of the box and incorporate the therapies that are in my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient. So I mopped up. It was less than a minute. Let's move on into the solution. (laughs) Now, this is very critical. The solution means we have to change the way the body works, and this is very crucial. Um, Francis Bacon, 1590 A.D., founder of the scientific principle, said, nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And what we have is uh, the human body functions based upon six major vectors, nutrition, attitude, toxins, energy alignment, the microbiome, and exercise. Those six vectors make up who we are and how long we're going to live and how healthy we are. And what happens in America is we got two-thirds of Americans overweight. And not co- coincidentally, two-thirds of Americans get zero exercise. Um, we have uh, the most commonly eaten vegetables in America are ketchup, french fries, and onion rings. <laughs> True. That's from the USDA. The most commonly eaten oh, food in God. America white bread and coffee. Uh, we can talk about, um, uh, I mentioned $480 billion spent on drugs. Um, we, we dispense 60 million pounds of antibiotics per year in America. 
of which 30 million pounds go into our animals to allow them to survive in what is a unhygienic situation and also cause them to gain weight faster. The other 30 million pounds of antibiotics are given out mostly inappropriately, as 150 million prescriptions. So what we have is we're drowning our bodies in drugs. We live on stress, cadaver food, no exercise, not enough sleep, abundant toxins. There are 60,000 chemicals in use in America today. 2,800 FDA-approved food additives. Our toxic burden is unbelievable. Uh, Heavy metals, volatile organic chemicals. So what we have done is we've ignored the manufacturer's warranty. That's the human body. Here's how it was built and designed and how you need to operate it. And if you don't, you're going to get sick and die young. And so we ignore that and bring in these wonderful medicines, uh, drugs, chemo, radiation, surgery, which have their merit, but we have ignored how the human body works. Let me give you an example. What would happen if I came to my office on Monday morning and I slammed my thumb in the desk drawer? Boy, that hurt. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I slam my thumb in the desk drawer and that really hurt. And by Friday, my thumb is black and blue and red and swollen and bloody and painful. And I go to Dr. A, who says, we're going to give you pain management so you can better tolerate this. And I go to Dr. B, who says, uh, we're going to give you corticosteroids to reduce the swelling. And I go to Dr. C, who is a surgeon, and says, I think we should cut off your thumb. It looks defective. <laughs> and you say, that's ridiculous. It is. And so is much of modern medicine. Let's look at um, diabetes. And so nobody tells you to stop slamming your thumb in the drawer, right? <laughs> exactly. Nobody. I was waiting for the punchline. I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's obvious to you and I, but to modern medicine. I'll give you an example. 30 million Americans with diabetes. 60 million more with pre-diabetes. That's 90 million people who are a ticking time bomb who are probably going to slowly erode through various health problems. It's been demonstrated that through diet, and I'm talking out of plant based diet and through intermittent fasting and weight loss you can cure i'm not talking about improving i'm talking about curing reversing any and all symptoms of diabetes in the vast majority of those patients simply by stop slamming your thumb in the desk drawer and whereas modern medicine says well i'm going to give you these various drugs and we're going to monitor your blood glucose so you can stick your finger three times a day insulin, etc. We're ignoring that slamming your thumb in the desk drawer. Take that into cancer. What we have is we know that there are very powerful anti-cancer foods. Uh, an example, a David, David Serban Schreiber was an MD, PhD, a young doc in his 30s, brilliant guy working at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, huge complex. They said, Dave, why don't you climb into the MRI device just so we can test this out? He did, and they found out he had brain cancer at age 30-something, and he realized with modern medicine he was a dead man. So he researched the subject of brain cancer and cancer in general and wrote a book, uh, Cancer-Free Lifestyle, basically saying that the modern lifestyle is fertilizer for cancer. We're asking for trouble the way we live. And he went on to live 11 years instead of two months and wrote a book and he was a noteworthy guy, but he had to abandon most of his medicine and go outside of that into lifestyle medicine, which is what my book is about. 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient saying, 
You have to change the way the body works. An example, there was an animal study done in exercise. They put animals, they in, uh, implanted tumors in these rats, and then they gave one group, they're just stable in a cage. The other group, they put them on an exercise treadmill. And they found the group that was put on voluntary exercise, they had a 60% reduction in the size and metastasis of the tumors. Wow. And these researchers went through talking about interleukin-6 and natural killer cell upregulation and all of these extraordinary things that happened with exercise. In the 1980s, there was a paper put out by the Journal of the American Medical Association, a Walter Boards to professor at Stanford Medical School, and he said, is dis-ease from disuse of the body. That's just one of my six key six components. They have 12 keys, but we can talk about nutrition and all the others. I'll let you have the, the, the floor. Okay, well, we're going to be out of time here for the second segment. So uh, we've got just a couple minutes left before we go to break. So let's talk about, I want to ask you about the mind. What, what is the, how does the mind impact the, can, we always hear about you got to stay positive, you got to stay upbeat, which is much easier said than done. Um, but what do you, what do you have to say about that? Thousands of years and thousands of brilliant people, everything from mystics to spiritual leaders to religious leaders to psychologists, have proven beyond argument that our thoughts are reflected in our body's health. Um, perhaps one of the most powerful sound bites is from Dr. Deepak Chopra. He's an MD, trained in modern medicine, went back to his native India and studied Ayurvedic medicine, then studied quantum physics. And if you put it all together, he's a brilliant man. And his sound bite is this, pay attention. Every cell in your body is eavesdropping on your thoughts. Mm. And the Center for Disease Control says, is that 90 to 95% of all illnesses in America are linked to our thoughts. And that means anything from depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, which are clearly psychological issues, to stress-inducing heart disease, cancer, diabetes, or other issues. Wow, I just wrote that down. I I am blown away by that that statement that every every, every, every cell, cell in your body is, is eavesdropping on your thoughts. Powerful. I, it's super powerful and oh my gosh, you know I I can see that because when I'm when I'm having like I had a rough night the other night just trying to sleep and then when I woke up, the same thing that was on my mind when I went to bed was the same thing that was on my mind in the morning when I woke up. And it was a very fitful night. And I know that that, and I, when I woke up, I was stiff and I felt horrible. And, and I know that there, I, I totally believe that there's a connection there. And, um, and that kind of sums it up. So, you know, we do need to find ways to stay positive. And sometimes we have to have these aha moments where we realize that there's certain things in our lives that are torturing us. And we need to, we need to stop doing that. Um, but we need to take a break. So can we pick this up on the other side? I know we've got a whole lot to talk about nutrition, but I think we've covered some of it. But um, I just, I want, I want you on my show again. So we may have to do that. So stay tuned. Good. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. 
Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the 12 keys to a healthier cancer patient with our guest and author, Dr. Patrick Quillen. But before we start back again, I just want to ask you, if you are enjoying this show, and I can't imagine that you're not, um, please consider, tell your friends about it, subscribe to it, because the more people we have listening to our show, the more this incredible information gets out there and about. And also, please consider, this is 2020. It's also Breast Friends' 20th year in existence. We rely on donations to support everything that we do, whether it's this radio show or or something else, but we, we rely on donations because we don't sell widgets and, you know, we're not a, we're, we are a nonprofit, um, sometimes more than we want to be. <laughs> but anyway, please consider going online and making a $20 and 20 cent donation in honor of 2020 and maybe even mention how, it, how awesome it was that Diana Banky saved our bacon on our first show. So we love her for that. And so with that, let's come back to this. So we were talking about the power of the mind and how I love that statement that every cell in your body is eavesdropping on your thoughts. And I, I so believe that. I've got a story I can tell you on that, too, if we have time. But I want to ask you this question. So you've, you're trying to be a positive attitude. We're trying to, like, really wrap our arms around this, this disease called cancer or whatever it is. Um, but then your doctor comes along and says to you, You've got probably two months to live. I would get your I would get your affairs in order if I were you. How do we manage that? Good question. And let's uh, try and understand the oncologist uh, point. They have a very precarious situation because for many years, oncologists were optimistic and they would want to be a cheerleader and they would say, Bob, you've got prostate cancer, meds to the bone, stage four, but we're going to do our best with this. We're going to work hard and we're optimistic and we're hoping things work out the best. And then six months later, Bob is dead. 
And the family gathers around the oncologist and says, why didn't you tell us that dad and grandpa were sick? We're going to sue you. And so now the oncologist, by law, must become a realist pessimist. And so what the oncologist does is he gets out his SEER data, that's surveillance, epidemiology, end result, and it's a collection of data from the National Cancer Institute. And what they do is they look at the hundreds of thousands of people who will come before you with your condition, and they make a guess at your prognosis. Prognosis means what's going to happen here. And so they might say, for instance, only 20% of the people with your condition survive five years. And you might be thinking, holy popcorn, the, the clock is ticking. Or they might say, you got two months to live. Get your affairs in order. Here's what you need to understand. Accept the diagnosis. Ignore the prognosis. This is where the power of the mind steps in. This is where we need to start talking about. In my book, I have a whole chapter in attitude. And you realize that the $480 billion a year drug industry spends billions a year on research, much of it trying to come up with double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. Now, remember, a placebo says, we're going to give you a fake pill. But what they find is at least 30% of medicine works because the patient believes it. Now we start getting to the point of saying, you, the cancer patient, must believe that you can recover from this. That's an important part of your recovery. So mm-hmm. attitude. I could talk about the very good books out there. Herbert Benson, Harvard professor who went to the uh, Eastern medicine and looked at people who could meditate, the yogis, and found film of the strange things they could do with the power of the mind. I could talk about a great book, Mind Over Medicine, by Elisa Rankin. I could talk about Radical Remissions by Kelly Turner, in which she looked, she went around the world and re, and uh, interviewed 70 people with le- stage four cancer who did no conventional therapy, and all of them went into these 70 went into remission, and she asked him, "What did you do?" And they had nine principles that they had in common. Number one was a plant-based diet. Number two was they took herbs, and the last seven were all psychological. They hunkered down with their friends. They got a positive attitude. They started doing something they liked. And toward that goal, let me share with you a story in case we don't have time at the end. But this is a true story. Galen Clark went to Yosemite Valley around the year 1850 to die from end-stage tuberculosis. He was dying coughing up chunks of his lung and blood. His doctor Mm. said, get your affairs in order. There's no cure for this. You're going to be dead in about two months. So he said, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to be happy. So he went to Yosemite Valley where he thought, this is where I'm going to die. He carved his own tombstone, actually. He started doing what he liked. He started eating food that was available in Yosemite Valley, which was no junk food, uh, rabbit, fish, uh, trout, uh, uh, um, uh, deer, a lot of some grains, some fruit, a lot of clean water, a lot of intermittent fasting, a lot of exercise. He was happy. He woke up every day planting trees, creating trails. He's considered the co-founder of Yosemite Valley. He was 42 at the time he went to Yosemite Valley. He had two months to live. He died 54 years later at the age of 96. I love that so much. True story. 
Yeah, and you know, we hear stories like that where somebody's given this horrible sentence and then here they are years later. When I talk to my doctor about, you know, my he's he's a wonderful oncologist, very very renowned in his in the work that he does. I love him to pieces. I told him once, I said, "You know, the last thing I want to hear out of your mouth ever is how much time I have left." I said, "Because I don't want to I know me. I know how that can really weigh on me, and I don't want to be that one person that lays around on the couch waiting to die. I don't want. So I don't want that news ever. And he goes, I would never tell you that. And I said, Good. And he goes, Because you know what? We found out more often than not, we're usually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I love yeah. that. And then one of the slides that I created when I go out and speak is is the trouble with statistics. And, yes. you know, a lot of these these prognoses are, they come from statistics, as you were indicating, you know, the 20% do this, 20%, whatever. So I, I created this slide when I go out and speak, and I usually speak at, at cancer survivor, you know, events. And I have a slide with a really tall person and a really short person, and I just kind of labeled them as six feet and four feet, just for practicality, easy math too. So what, and I asked the audience, what is their average height? Well, their average height is five and a half feet, right? You got a six, four, ten, divide, you know, we all know how to do that. So it's five feet is their average height. And then I look at the audience again and I ask them, so which one of these is five feet? Neither one of them. Right. And that's the problem with statistics. <laughs> you know, yeah. They can be 100% right, 100% accurate, and be 100% wrong at the same time. And and that's why I don't believe in statistics. I don't, like you said, ignore the, the outcome. You know, well, listen listen to the, the cure, but ignore the outcome because... May I give a statistic then? Let's talk about yes. that. Yes. I just, uh, a few minutes ago, I mentioned that antioxidants in conjunction with medical therapy improve outcome. There was a study done in Europe in which oncologists looked at lung cancer. And they said that the outcome in lung cancer has been rather dismal for many years. We can't do any worse. Let's add nutrients to it. Let's see what happens. And so they took uh, uh, patients with lung cancer, uh, non-small cell lung cancer, and they gave them either, actually they did not have a, uh, a control group. In this case, they gave all of these patients uh, a good diet and nutrition supplements. Uh, I would not call it extreme, but a good diet, a decent nutrition program. And then they followed them. What they did is compared them to that SEER data, surveillance, epidemiology, and result. That's the statistics you were talking about. And what you find is that in lung cancer, at 30 months or two and a half years after diagnosis, you have 1% survival, meaning they're almost all dead. That's two and a half years. In this group, they had 44% survival at six years. Wow. For almost half were alive at six years, not two and a half years. And what they found is the patients who started antioxidant therapy earliest had the best outcome. There was no tumor, redu- or tumor uh, reduction in tumor kill uh, from using antioxidants. And so when you go back to statistics, if you keep doing the same thing that everybody else has done, the statistics are probably true. And that's where my book comes in, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient. If you do a program that harnesses the healing power of the mind, of nutrition, of exercise, of the microbiome, which is the gut, of uh, energy alignment, uh, you can do miracles. You can change statistics dramatically. Uh, that's good to know because we do definitely need to do whatever we can do to change those those statistics. So thank you for that. Um, we only have a, a couple minutes left to really kind of delve into something. So um, 
Do you want to go into nutrition and talk a little yes. bit more about nutrition? Okay, but Let's we have to do kind of the short, short version because I'm going to give you two minutes. All right. Okay. Let's just do a few uh, sound bites about foods that promote cancer and foods that can arrest or reverse cancer. Yes. Let's do that. Let's start with tumor promoters. The typical American diet is a tumor promoter. Uh, too much meat. Uh, not enough vegetables. So you, most Americans are doing both. It's a combination. Actually, if you have a hamburger and a salad, you're doing better than if you just have nothing but a hamburger and a milkshake and french fries. That's almost death on a stick. Uh, so tumor promoters is too much meat, overcooked meat, especially uh, well done or barbecued, trans fatty acids, those are hydrogenated fats, um, uh, excessive uh, alcohol, sugar, sugar is a killer, let's just stop there. Cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. The average American consumes 150 pounds per year of refined sugar. Wow. And since I might get 20 pounds a year, that means somebody else is getting 270 pounds a year to make up the statistical average. Sugar is killing people by the hundreds and thousands. Um, so tumor promoters, I just mentioned a few of them. A big part of it is eating too much, as in obesity, and too often, as in four or five meals a day. Intermittent fasting is a major interruption of all that. So now let's talk about a few things you could do to lower your risk for cancer or to help reverse cancer in conjunction with your doctor's care. Number one, get as much plant food as your colon will tolerate. I'm talking about fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, seaweed, mushrooms, and medicinal herbs. That's nine categories of plant food that will help prevent and reverse ca cancer. Uh, number two, uh, lose weight to a point of where you're at a decent weight, a good fighting weight for your frame. Number three, intermittent fasting personal story here, Becky. Um, I am lean, fit, healthy. I follow my own advice. For 10 years, I had fasting blood glucose levels that were hovering near pre-diabetes, as in 100 milligrams per deciliter. Mm -hmm. Couldn't figure it out. Tried every diet. Tried every supplement. Um, I did intermittent fasting, which means you narrow your feeding window to eight hours a day, and then 16 hours a day, you don't eat at all, nothing but water. And then one day a week, no food, nothing but water, 24-hour fast. And uh, within three weeks, my fasting blood glucose dropped into the perfect range, 67. And I am sold on this. If you look it up, intermittent fasting, there's so much evidence that it prevents and reverses Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, diabetes, cancer. Our ancestors did this all the time inadvertently. Our bodies are not built to eat all the time. And I've had my cynical patients say, well, wh why can't you eat at night? Why would they put a light in the refrigerator if you're not supposed to eat at night? <laughs> okay, we're going to go out on a sense of humor here. So good. Um, that's a good question. And Patrick, I am so I am so amazed at your your information, your intellect, your knowledge. I mean, just all of this. We're we're going to have you back. You've already agreed during the break. Thank you very much. So we Our are going to have him back because there's we've only touched on on basic keys. We're going to get into the heart of this the next time we have you on the show. So I have to I have to um, let you go at this point. But stay stay on for just a second. Um, how do people get your book? Just give me a quick email address or a website or something very quick. Uh, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient is on Amazon. Just Amazon. go to Amazon.com okay. and look up my name or the book. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today, taking time out. Um, remember, make a $20.20 donation this year in honor of 2020 and in honor of our wonderful office manager, Diana, because she's great. And we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.